0: It's my pleasure to welcome you here to
1: the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, when companies owe you a refund now, what do they do? They give you a piece of trash debit card. I want to tell you why these things are just rotten, terrible for you and show contempt for you. As a customer of a business. And coming up later, the ransomware attacks are escalating dramatically where hackers shut down your websites at your business. It's happened a lot to governments too, and then ransom your own operation back to you. I've got some special things I want you to think about and make sure you're doing. To protect yourself from what could be business Armageddon. And Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are our websites. And Clark Deals, we tell you the best deals we can find night and day for your wallet. And we have the Clark Deals daily newsletter if you want to be up to the minute on what bargains are there for you. So... The number one story in the financial news for the last 10 days and one of the top general news stories has been the stock price of a company, Tesla, and the stock has gone up and down more day by day than most any other stock. And it's what's known as a story stock where people convince themselves that it's the most important new company to come along in maybe a generation. And then others are like, what are you talking about? The vehicle business, the car business is an industry in decline. Why would you buy something in that? And there are people on both sides of this thing, but there have been terrible stories about people who have lost tremendous amounts of their savings betting one way or another On Tesla. And for me, what's so key for you to think about is the risk to you if you have worked hard to save money and you have money that you can build on for your future. If you bet on any one enterprise, you know, there are people who were really into this uh, for a number of years with Apple, there were people that were into it with Amazon. There are a number of stocks that become these story stocks. Amazon today, very powerful stock. But do you know it went through a cycle where people were wiped out, where Amazon uh, became worth almost nothing, and people who bought it because of the story of what they thought was going to happen ended up losing a substantial amount of the money that they had put into it. The thing is, When you invest in an individual company, particularly one that defies normal methods of measuring its value, you're creating potentially a very, very large financial risk for yourself. And yeah, it might eventually become worth a tremendous amount of money, but in between you can end up really getting hurt or it can end up being the next... Pets.com, if you remember that, one of the worst failures in the stock market ever, where billions of dollars that people had invested in what they thought was going to be a hot, hot stock went to zero. Webvan, another example, went to zero. So here's my thing I want you to think about with investing. You want to start making sure that you are building a base with your money in a 401k, Roth IRA, investment account, whatever, where your money is well spread out, and that's what funds are for. There are mutual funds where you own uh, pieces of many companies a professional manager has picked. There are index funds where you just buy a segment of the market here or overseas. Uh, could be 500 stocks, could be 3,000 stocks. Uh, The idea is your money is sliced and diced into little teeny pieces, not betting everything on one particular company, or even if you're well-diversified, not even one particular country. Remember that we are uh, 3% of the world's population in the United States, and we're about 22% of the world's economic activity, and that's declining, so don't forget the value that can be outside the United States, too, when you invest, and again, well-diversified. When you built that base, what uh, the guy Chuck Schwab, who also has the brokerage with his name, what he calls core, you build your core first. Kind of like with any exercise program, they always have you build core strength. So you do that first. And then if you want to, Take a chance with individual stocks. It's money that you won't lose sleep over. That doesn't change your life to a negative way. If you guess wrong, it goes to zero. Particularly with a story stock like Tesla. Be smart about your money. Be smart about your future you're trying to build. Because remember, the most important thing is to live on less than what you make. Then the second thing is, what do you do with that money that you were able not to spend that creates a safe environment for yourself going forward. William is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, William. Uh, hello. How are you? Uh, well, I'm doing fine, thank you. So, you found out that you're going to owe Uncle Sam money.
2: Yeah, so we want to avoid that as
1: much as possible. Okay. So um, how how bad is it for you?
2: Oh maybe just about five hundred. Okay. I mean it's more than usual.
1: All right, but actually not enough that you're gonna owe any penalties or anything like that. Right. So right. you haven't made any interest free loan to the IRS expecting a refund of that amount or anything. Instead you owe money. And that's mm-hmm. not the worst thing in the world as long as you got the five hundred bucks. Right. So, what are you thinking of doing to try to lessen that?
2: Well, my my like uh, question was: Is uh, can I open or or fund uh, an IRA in in that amount, and to what if, uh, what degree would that affect it? Is it dollar for dollar?
1: No, or is based on how much income you had? Approximately, you single or married first? I'm married. What kind of um, just general ballpark overall family income did you have in
3: 2019? Uh, High 70s.
1: Okay. So at that income, you're going to owe a tax on your income that's really not extremely high overall. And so the advantage of you doing... uh, Roth I, I'm sorry, a traditional IRA is going to be amazingly small. Like if you put in uh, $500, for example, it might save you $70 in tax. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make a big difference. It, the tax rate you have, if you were of a mind to save money against last year's income, you would want to save in a Roth IRA, even though you won't save that $70 in tax on the $500 bill. Okay. So I, I would not worry about uh, doing something like an IRA as a way of reducing the tax, because what happens is the money you put into that IRA, when you retire, it everything in the account is going to be taxed at your then-current tax rate, which odds are will be higher than the tax rate you have right now on the income you have. Mm-hmm. So I would only put money in a retirement account because that's a good thing to do, not as a way to try to reduce tax because it's going to have so little impact there. Okay. And because your tax rate is so relatively low, if you did decide that you were of a mind, Remember, I'd like you to do the Roth IRA version where you get no tax benefit now, but the money grows tax-free for the rest of your working life, and you spend everything in it tax-free. All right. So I'm sorry you owe money. Now (laughs) You you do have the option of increasing your withholdings from your paycheck just a little bit Mm -hmm. each pay period. Your income's going to be similar next year, and then you're unlikely to owe the 500 bucks you owe this year next year. Right. So okay. If you got paid, do you get paid weekly or how often do you get paid?
3: Uh, twice monthly.
1: So twice by a month. By a
2: week. Yeah, by a week.
1: Yeah. So if you increase your withholding like 20 bucks a paycheck, mm-hmm. you would end up about even, Stephen, a year from now would be the way you'd be able to get out from having to pay the IRS anything in addition to what's already been withheld. Daniel's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Daniel. Hey, Clark. It's good to speak with you. Well, good to speak with you, and you got a wedding coming up.
2: Yes, sir, in just a few short months.
1: Well, how can I be of
0: service?
2: So, um... I have been saving uh, the last few years for a down payment on what will be our first home. And my question to you is, um, should I use that down payment to pay off my future wife's student loans uh, after we get married and then restart the uh, down payment savings or should we go with some type of minimum payment to those and continue forward with the home buying process
1: that is a wonderful question and do you know the number one thing that is delayed home buying is the overhang of student loan debt that people are saying I can't take on the risk of a mortgage when I already owe student loan debt so do you know what interest rate your fiance's student loans carry
2: they're spread across uh, 10 loans Um, the average for all 10 of them is
1: going to be 4.1 all right so that is not that is not a terrible interest rate what i would do is since you have done the work and you figured out you've got these 10 loans is the loans that are above five percent they're a higher priority right now than proceeding with going forward with buying a home The loans that are uh, below 4% would be the ones that would be okay to still sit there and pay as agreed over time because the the carry cost of loans that start with a 3 is the first digit in the interest rate. Carry costs are so low that I wouldn't let that keep you from proceeding with buying a home. So if you were to wipe out the ones... Uh, particularly higher than five, and then replenish your cash, it would set you back on buying a home how many months?
2: Um, I was able to save 11000 last year. So um, if we added all the ones that are above four, it's going to take probably all of that.
1: Okay, so it might set you back as much as a year at worst could correct that would be a good decision okay and that way you've created like half a loaf you've gotten rid of half of the student loans and you'll be in a position where you're going to be much healthier financially going forward with buying the home great so a little extra time before buying the home in your case is not a life-changing amount of time but Creating a much more comfortable financial situation before home ownership by doing that makes a lot of sense to me. And congratulations on your
0: upcoming wedding. First, the bad news SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations, so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Today's Clark Rages moment is such an example
1: of companies that don't truly value their customers. In fact, look at us with absolute and complete contempt.
0: Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment.
1: I have in my hand a piece of trash, fake MasterCard from AT&T. I was a customer of DirecTV, and when I canceled after the contract, I was owed a partial refund for, I guess, a month's service. I don't remember why. And they told me they were sending me this debit card that I didn't want. I asked for a check. They will not send you a check. Well, so I went through an odyssey that uh, that was just so weird because I immediately started spending on this card and then I hit a point where I kept being declined for it. And I'm like, I couldn't have spent the whole refund on this thing. So then I went on the AT&T website And registered the card where I was able to get a text message with the balance. And the reason I kept getting declined was the balance was smaller than anything I was trying to buy. Because I just had several dollars left on it. So it doesn't take part of the money and then you give another form of payment. No, it's a yes or no. So I was determined to get down to where I had zero pennies left on it. And I failed, and now it's expired. Last purchase I made, I bought a, a bag of baked Lay's that took me down to 72 cents, and I frantically tried to find something I could buy for less than 72 cents. Couldn't do it. I mean, think what a candy bar costs now. So at and probably feels so smug because they made off with my 72 cents and all the other customers, and I'm picking on AT&T because that's who this one came from, but this is an end thing in corporate America to create what's known as breakage when a company owes you money to give you a piece of trash debit card instead of giving you your actual money back. And they do it because their corporate treasurers know that a certain amount of money will end up stranded on the cards and the company never has to make full restitution, full refund to you. It is absolutely clark-rageous that companies think this way instead of doing what's best and
0: right by a customer. Right, at and Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
1: Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Our websites, clark.com and clarkdeals.com. This is a Clark Howard ripoff alert. You know, we hear about so many data breaches, but there's one that has become a life and death threat for so many businesses, and it involves ransomware attacks that generally only make it in the news if it's an organization that has to publicly disclose that it's been hit by a ransomware attack. We'll hear it from a school board or a county government or a court system or something like that, but we usually don't hear about it from a company because many times they have to pay the ransom or they're out of business where crooks specifically target their heart of their operations, lock down their databases, lock down their computers, nothing works, until you pay the ransom well the the number of companies being hit is going up not exponentially but by huge numbers by one estimate the number of companies hit is rising about 50 percent year over year another measure the amount of money that companies are paying out is doubling year over year I don't know how those two those two don't match up but the point is regardless this is a very, very aggressive thing going on now to destroy your business that you've worked hard to build up, small, mid-size, medium, large business, they're all getting hit. And the question I have for you, regardless of the size of your business, what are you doing to protect yourself from somebody who might lock up all your data? Do you have an automatic backup of your data each evening? on a hard drive if you're a small business do you use an outside service a cloud service to do a backup of all your data every night i mean these are really really basic things that many organizations and businesses aren't doing at all so think about if your records got completely shut off from you shut down what do you do well if you have a backup you're able to potentially, with just a little disruption, restore your business activities. If you have no backup, then you got a real problem. Now, it can go into more deep layers about uh, what happens with your customer data that could get compromised, but that's always been an issue. I want to talk here about your business being able to continue to operate. Do you have cyber insurance to protect yourself from a hack or a full-on cyber attack or a ransomware attack? Do you have that? Have you shopped for it? Have you thought about if you've got business liability coverage, have you added on to it cyber coverage? Now, This is probably the fifth time I've talked about this in the last three years. And the problem has been getting... Um, more and more complicated for people and more and more severe think about if you build up a business over the years over decades or whatever and suddenly your business is wiped out so please think about these things I'm talking about what backup do you have what methods of backup do you have is backup done every 24 hours and are you insured against the potential risk Now, by the way, the insurance underwriters are going to want to know the first things. They're going to want to know what steps you're taking already to protect your business before they're going to be interested in underwriting the cyber insurance for your business. But these are things that I know you're busy running whatever you run, but you're not going to be busy at all if you're put out of business. So take the time to make these things happen. Susan's with us on the Clark Howard show hi Susan hi Clark how are you great thank you Susan you have done something pretty remarkable tell me about it
4: well I started out about 20 years ago I had a bankruptcy in my early 20s and in my efforts to rebuild I was pretty much taking any credit card that anyone would offer me I started out with store cards you know thousand dollar limit and over the years, I have accumulated over 20 cards and $100,000 in available credit. And I'm trying to figure out if and how I should thin the herd, I guess. Um, my credit score is in the low eights. No way, no way. way.
1: Your credit score is in the low eights.
4: Yes. only thing on there right now, I, I did a stupid and I co-signed on my mother's car. Um, she still owes about 20,000 on that, but the payments are made on time. Um, but I'd like to get rid of some of these cards, but I don't want to ding my credit. Even though my cars and my home are paid for, I don't really need the credit. I don't want to trash it either.
1: Sure. So if you're going to thin the herd, as you said, the way you do that is you get rid of the store cards, but keep all the majors.
4: Okay. Only about three of them are store cards. All the rest are... Visa, MasterCard, brand.
1: American Express, Discover?
4: Yeah, I've got several of each.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there's no real reason for you to close any of those because that hurts, eventually it hurts your history and it also reduces your uh, the amount of credit line you have available to you which increases your utilization, which would then potentially lower your credit score. So Mm -hmm. you did this organically over two decades, rebuilding your financial reputation. And the only real risk to you with having so many accounts is if somebody compromised one of the cards, you had to deal with that. Uh, but
4: Yeah, I, I did have an identity theft issue about five years ago. Someone got into my taxes and um, one of my cards, but I was able to touch that. I've got Credit Karma, and I I check everything once a month to make sure there's nothing unusual going on.
1: That's great. Um, I would go one step beyond Credit Karma, and I'd put in place credit freezes with the three bureaus. Okay. Which is free to do, and will take you about 15 minutes of your life to set up the freezes initially with Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And if you want to know okay. how you do that, I have a credit freeze guide at Clark.com. Okay. Um, but as far as the cards, dump the store cards because they're junk cards. They don't really do much for you. They may have helped you bridge a gap 20 years ago, but over time they're really considered to be junk credit. But the majors, okay. if you've got 17 major cards, I know it's weird, just keep them open.
4: Okay. And there may
1: come a point if you don't have activity on any of a number of them, the actual issuer of the card may say, because of inactivity, we're closing your card. And that would be kind of a shrug of the shoulders. Ah, well. Or if you wanted to prevent that, many times they'll say, you need to use the card in the next 45 days or we're going to close it. Just use it once or twice to keep it active.
4: Okay. Yeah, that has happened a couple of times. And I just charge a tank of gas on it and. Pay
1: it off. So a tank of gas, that went from being like $100 to $50 with the prices dropping, right?
4: <laughs> $46 this morning.
1: 46 I That was pretty close, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it helps with the prices coming down. Sal is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sal. Hi. How you doing? I'm great, thank you. Sal, you have a difficult scenario you have to deal with. Uh, Let's talk through the possibilities here.
5: Okay. Uh, Well, I have um, purchased a round-trip ticket to Beijing on a major credit card using a combination of points and cash. The trip was scheduled for May 18th and as a study abroad program. It has been canceled, and um, I used the um, travel agency that was associated with the credit card and I've gone back to them to tell them that I can't go and that I would like to get a refund, which they told me would be a significant amount of money to pay. Then they offered me an opportunity to transfer it to another trip for a cost of $300. Well, and
1: that, is, that, is, as, what that is as n- ungenerous as they could possibly be. And the 300 bucks may be from the airline the ticket was issued on rather than from the travel agency operation of your credit card. Mm -hmm. But the thing you should do, I would recommend is you know that in the worst scenario, now that the program's canceled, you're going to suffer a $300 hit to use the remaining value towards a future trip, or Mm -hmm. you just sit on your hands and wait because a lot of the airlines going to China have canceled all their service. Right. And who knows when they're going to reinstate service. So if an airline does not operate a route when you're going, then under law they have to give you back the money, all of it. No $300 penalty on you because they're not flying. Right. So the only smart move on your part is just wait this out. Correct. Well, great. Thank you. So then I have a question for you. If everything ends up eventually being all clear and everything's okay and coronavirus is not a threat to life and safety by May, would you consider going to Beijing anyway because it's going to be the least crowded at the lowest cost when you get there for a vacation, for sightseeing, that it will have been... In decades.
5: I hadn't really thought about it that way because I was planning to get six hours credit using <laughs> this trip. So it just kind of changed my whole point of view on it.
1: So, um, you know, you always think about when a door closes, a window opens. And it's possible it could be a great opportunity. You know, hotel bookings in China are down about 75% because wow. nobody's going except people who have to be there right now. And so you might be able to get potentially a a five star hotel for thirty dollars a night in May. I mean, just depending on what happens.
5: How does that work with the visa?
1: So, the visa is very expensive for China. Uh, did you do the multiple visit visa or the one time visit? We had not done the visas yet because all right. We then, hadn't then give that yet. give that a rest because that would be like additional money potentially down the toilet right and they're not exactly busy right now issuing visas so if you waited till much closer to see what conditions are like to then get a Chinese visa you could then give them the arm a leg and a foot that it costs for the visa which is is it 160 dollars these days is that what it is
5: I think I heard the it was being handled by the school. So I think I heard it was about
1: $250. School's probably marking it up. So Maybe. if you're then if you're then the lone ranger getting it on your own, it may be cheaper than that. Okay. Cuz any you do a school trip, they don't offer you better deals than the, the market price. There are always worse deals than the market price. They <laughs> they add on several different markups. Okay, so the answer is it's $140 for the visa. Okay, thank you. So they were marking it up 110 bucks. Wow. That's really generous of the school, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Any it's weird cuz anytime there's anything if you if you have been to college and they send you one of those alumni brochures for a trip or whatever the trips are always much more expensive than you can book on your own so it's about the camaraderie of being with people you went to school with or something like that but it's never about saving money because every single part of the trip will be more money than if you booked on your own stephanie is with us on the clark howard show hello stephanie how are you doing Hi, Clark. I'm good. How are you? Great. Congratulations to you. You're buying your first home. Yes, that's correct. Thank you so much. You nervous or excited or both?
3: A big combination of both. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, how can I be of service to you? Because this is a very exciting time in your life.
3: Yeah, it is a very exciting time, and so um, we purchased a new construction home, and it's a townhome style. Um, it's set to be ready in probably July or August, and so we're wondering what type of mortgage we should get. And we've heard of you know the ten one arm, um, the thirty year fixed, and we're wondering your advice because. Um, This will be our first home purchase, and we don't think that we'll stay in it forever for the long term, but we do plan to sell it eventually down the road. Um, We're wondering what kind of mortgage do you think we should get?
1: So if your goal is that you're thinking this townhouse is where you're going to live for, let's say, five, seven years right in there, Mm -hmm. the smart money says that you take the 10-1 arm or 7-1 arm where you fix the rate for seven or ten years. But Mm -hmm. I would say today, you ignore the smart money and go with a straight 30-year fixed loan. And the reason I would say that is the interest rate spread between a 30-year fixed and a 10-one arm or a 7-1 arm is so small right now, much smaller than it has been historically, that Mm -hmm. there's no reason for you to take on the risk. If your life changes, you end up staying in that townhouse longer than you expected. The real estate market turns in a way that even when you want to get out, you can't, and you end up having to have it as a rental property. You end up staying in voluntarily longer than you thought. So we're in a market right now where the interest rates, and maybe they won't be as cheap when you lock in, but right Mm -hmm. now the interest rates on the 30-year fix for people with good credit are in the threes, Mm -hmm. and you're only saving somewhere right around a quarter point going with one of the ARM products, maybe three-eighths of an interest point. Mm -hmm. That's just not enough difference to make it worth giving up the flexibility that you get with that 30-year fixed.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. And how about locking in the rate? When do you think we should go ahead and do that?
1: Well, you know, with construction, when they tell you something's going to be ready is not always when it's going to be ready. Right. So you have to wait longer than you might like to lock okay. in the rate because you don't want to lock in and have your lock-in expire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when it, when it feels really confident that they're going to be done by a set date, That's when, if you're close enough that you can do a lock-in, that's when you lock-in. But not till it's like really, really clear that they tell you it's going to be August 15th, let's say, that you're comfortable it's going to happen within a week or two of that. That's when you go ahead and lock-in because builders are notorious for not finishing on time. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.